Much of this upcoming introduction comes from the program for the 2002 Three Poets for Peace event, and it was written by Chris Brandt. In 2002, this country began a war against the Taliban in Afghanistan. Eighteen years later, that war continues. Before it started, there was a moment in which many U.S. citizens debated whether war was the only solution to the Saudi terrorist attack on 9-11-2001. There was a brief period of about two weeks in which a national dialogue was possible. In New York City's Union Square, people debated the possible responses to the attack. Had this been a true democracy, the people's voices would have had more weight than those of the corporations, the military, the politicians. But on October 7th, as the second mass New York demonstration for peace was to start, the massive U.S. bombing campaign was announced from the podium. Three New York poets, Veronica Golos, Angela Verga, and myself, Chris Brandt, decided that we could not stand by and bemoan U.S. policies. Since we are poets, we had to do something. We organized a reading where we and other poets expressed our opposition to war's destruction of life and our effort to create understanding of life in language. The U.S. war in Afghanistan continues. And now we are in the grip of a global pandemic that knows nothing of nationalistic rhetoric. Have we, our government, our social leaders, our poets, learned anything from these experiences? For this recording, we are practicing social distance. We are Zooming this Bar Crow Radio Poetry, What Is It Good For? episode with three poets for peace. I am Rebecca McCain, and I am joined by my BCR co-host, Alan Winson and Chris Brandt. And here we go! And so here we go! And so here we go! My name is Chris Brandt. I'm co-producer with Alan Winson of uh, this series of poetry podcasts. Poetry, what's it good for? And today we have two of my treasured colleagues from back at the beginning of the century. <laughs> in, in 2002, in, in, well, at the end of 2001, we got together and dubbed ourselves Three Poets for Peace and did a series of readings of poetry uh, which we, in, in which we, um, all the proceeds that came in from those readings went to solidarity groups and so forth. We did readings in New York City and in several places in Massachusetts. And these two people are among my favorites on the face of the planet. And I'm so glad that we're all here today in isolation. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you know each other? How did you first meet? Jeez. Uh, well, Angelo, you, was it through you, Angelo? Probably. I was, I was panhandling on the corner of uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, Street. Right. Reading and, poetry uh, for five cents. Yeah, and uh, these these guys wouldn't give me any money, so I followed them. And, uh, <laughs> Angela, your nose is getting longer. He's that, yeah, you seem like the kind. <laughs> uh, it was probably because Angela... Him, and that's weird, isn't it? He was the curator at... Um, uh, Cornelia Street. Cornelia Street Cafe. 
Is that what we all meant, or was I, it something Christian? I, I may, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. It could have been that. It could have been at the 14th Street Y. Who ah, knows? Yeah. I was curating at the 14th Street Yeah. It could have been through you at the 14th Street I think so. I think so. On the east side. You know, the, yeah, the, one of the problems that uh, I've had in putting this together is that you two or three have so much history um, going back before the beginning of the century um, that, you know, it's hard to say because you are, you are three significant poets. Uh, I, I know, Angelo, you were the poet laureate of Cornelius Street at one time, and you had that cafe that, that you ran. Um, and I, I, I urge people to go and, and look up Angelo Verga. Um, and, and Veronica Golos is well-published, uh, lots and lots of books. I don't, uh, books about poetry. Um, let, let me, let, let, let me see if we get to know you this way. Why, this is like an impossible to answer, but go ahead. Why did you become a poet? <laughs> how, how serious an answer do you want? Oh, I want a serious <laughs> answer. Um. Uh, I don't think I had any choice. Um, and I always tell students, if you have a choice to, of, of being a writer or a poet and, and not being a writer or a poet, you should definitely not. Because yeah. The only reason to be a poet in particular is you have no choice. Uh, there's something about language and struggling with words that is essential for who you are and, and how you see the world. Uh, you know, it's uh, necessity. It has to be a necessity. If it's a an vocation. option, exercise the option to do something else because you probably have more fun. You'll certainly make more money. The only thing is you won't meet people like, like Chris and Veronica. Yes. Why? Or Angelo. But you did. No, no, oh, if be, you don't, if you're yeah. not, okay. Or if you have a podcast, you can you can meet them too. So, so this yeah. was a calling for you. So, yeah. so, so, so Veronica, when when uh, you were shaking your head, yes, agreeing with Angelo, when, when was the first time you realized this is something I've got to do? Well, I have to put words uh, together. Well, I think as a child, I saw the world differently than most people. <laughs> I I came across. Uh, I have a poem in my new book about it, about sort of feeling like I'm always tipped over and sort of looking at it differently. And um, I think also that it's, it's everything Angelo said. And it's a particular, for me, it, it's like I translate. I, I translate and experience what I'm seeing, uh, what people are talking about. Mm -hmm. into into a poem it, it's like a translation so that and also it's how i know what i'm thinking exactly very so, much so you know i start out i think oh i'm gonna write this poem about a b or c and everything and and give me a prompt and then i i go and it can turn out to be very very different um I think it's what Angela said, you know, it's the music. It's it's really uh, growing up in a particular time that I grew up where the music was both socially conscious and beautiful and 
uh, primarily for me, African-American music. And um, mm -hmm. also I was a dancer. So all of these things sort of get translated into poetry. So, so Do you we have a time limit? I don't want to. No, no, no. It's, it's a, we talk as much as you want. I, well, I have a thing called editing. <laughs> so How do we? <laughs> yeah, right. So you, I mean, you read po poetry is not not only the inspiration, but it's the going back and reworking and reworking. I'm sure. I mean, yeah. we, we were talking to Martina Spada, and he was talking about reworking uh, one stanza for for a month or more. Remember that, uh, Chris? We yeah. Just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a slightly different story from from my two colleagues here. Uh, I kind of didn't have a choice because my dad was a writer and my mom was a painter. And so I grew up with art all over the place. And But poetry really for me came the day I stole one of my dad's poems and handed it in as my assignment <laughs> in junior high school. And everyone loved it. And I thought, wow, if I can do this. <laughs> or just keep, keep dad doing it. So it inspired you. Well, I figured I'd better learn to do it myself. Ah, you, you speak you speak uh, Spanish, German, and English. Little, little French, little Italian. Yeah. Yes, and so in the in a different way, you translate, right? The poetry is translation. Well, that's you know, what I... Robert Frost said that po that poetry is what's lost in translation, but I think just as much it's what's found in translation. Mm. It, uh, I'm going to ask this, and maybe there's no answer to this. Can you remember the first time when you sat down and said, "I'm writing a poem"? This this is a poem. This is, I'm not just you know doing a diary. This is a poem. Wow. Yesterday. No, <laughs> you've written poems before. Yesterday. The first time. <laughs> every every time's the first time. Um, but I mean, I was a little kid, and I wanted to. Oh man, this is so embarrassing. Uh, on TV, there was this show about um, um, God, the guy with the coonskin hat. And, uh, Davy Crockett. Oh, Davy Crockett. Davy, Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett. Hey, Crockett. Crockett. King of the Wild. Frontier, yeah. right. <laughs> We're all uh, of the same age. Up up. <laughs> see the green estate in the land of the free. Anyway. <laughs> 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 He's a kid. <laughs> um, I decided that I was going to uh, uh, tell a better version of the story <laughs> than the one I was watching on TV. And you did it in poetry? I did, yes. See, that's what I wanted to ask before. I didn't get a chance to. See, um, You said that, um, not Angelo, Veronica, you said that um, you um, felt like you were translating. So translating is usually from one language to another. So you're translating from what language... I mean, the poem, I assume, is in English. Experience, I, at least when I started, it was like translation from an experience or, you know, I was in the political movement for 40 years. So sometimes I'd be listening to a speech and in my head, I would be translating it into poetry. Do you know what I mean? Whatever I felt was poetry. It was how... I could take it in. So experience and give into, it back, right, and give it back. Were I you? Mean, was it a sense of trying to let people understand what this is? Within you, I guess. 
from your perspective, it, maybe? It was just in my head and on the page how I <sighs> re, reformed what I had just either heard or experienced or something. Right. I, I guess feeling always that, um, I think all three of us, that we were kind of outside the realm, you know, um, both, you know, I know the three of us and Angelo and I share a working class background and, you know, and, and so when you start on poetry, on the one hand, you are looked at as separate then from your class. And then, but because you're from that class in the poetry world, a lot of times you're separate. So there were a lot of, um, and politically, you know, I mean, at the time the country was, there was, there were many people like against the war and, and, and that, so you weren't so isolated. But in a lot of, I know my thinking, there weren't that many people that <laughs> thought that way. So, um, and also a difficult childhood. So translating that, making that into something else translating it into poems which i finally did last year <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Finally, yes. yeah so we started uh, off this bcr episode referring to the poets for peace uh, event the poets for peace event uh, first held on january 25th 2002 uh, following the start of the u.s wars in afghanistan and iraq um, why did you organize that event what were you thinking? What did you want to accomplish? We had to do something. Was that at 1199? Are we talking about? Or? That's, that was the first one was 1199. Yeah. Okay. All right. So the January 25th was a uh, second one. No, no that, was, that was it. Oh, that was it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So didn't we do something at uh, PS 11? Yes. That's where you're Yeah. Talking. Somewhere in the village. Um, yeah. We did, we did one there later. I think that was in March. And this this was in protest of the of the decision by the Bush administration to go to war in Afghanistan and then in Iraq. Um, yeah. And what what did you think you were going to accomplish by reading poetry? There, there at the time uh, that the these wars started, they were incredibly popular. Yeah. Meaning the um, I don't mean he they polled like ninety percent approval or something or maybe more. And uh, this was based on lies, so for this part, and, yep. also, and also based on uh, controlling the information that people had access to. Uh, so what we thought we could do was uh, create um, a poll where people could find alternative feelings and information and emotions that would allow them to break out of being trapped in war hysteria. And I think even more grandiosely than that, we thought that we could, uh, we could actually affect the ability of the government to conduct uh, their propaganda war and and the actual the actual war. What were your audiences like? How did they respond? Oh, the one at eleven ninety nine was fabulous. It's, but, but we had we had a 
great lineup there. It was Bread and Roses, which was helped organized by my then wife, who was working at 1199. Yeah, it was huge. It was hundreds of people who, who showed up. Is 1199 a public school or a, um, it's a union? Union. It? Okay, it's a union. Union it's Hall. Theater. Right, right, right. Okay. Right, yeah. right. Bread and Roses Theater, I believe it's called, right? It's on 42nd or 43rd, 43rd Street. It's the it's in the Martin Luther King uh, annex to eleven ninety nine. So so Veronica, what was your reason for doing it? Why 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 did you same same reason? You you thought this would make a difference, did it? Well, you know, all of us at uh, one point or another, but especially me, because I was in an organization, we were fighting the war. I mean, we were demonstrating against the war, and. In fact, I was working at the time at Clump as a secretary, uh, administrative assistant um, <laughs> uh, at Columbia Presbyterian, and I actually quit my job because I, I really felt there was, you know, I think all of us were we're the children of of the Vietnam War, and so much that we we learned and suffered and. The feeling towards the Vietnamese, I know from myself, was was overwhelming. I had taken a trip to Cuba, and they, they had a whole group of Vietnamese there. Um, they had a big sign up, as in Vietnam, as in Cuba, Vietnam, or something like that. You know, real solidarity. And they, two women walked towards me. I was digging, um, making a... Um, Los Naranjos, a little town, and uh, I just burst into tears. I mean, there was no way to say, you know. So this war came, and and then I wrote a book called Vocabulary Silence, and it was out of that experience and others. I think I think the thing about poetry, like music, it gets beneath the rib, you know. Like you can, we're all able to make speeches and, and all of that. I think the three of us ha had to do that. But there's something about poetry that even if somebody's sort of resisting the music of it, the you know, it gets beneath the rib and, and it's, it's, I think, a very, um, well, first of all, it's always been done, you know, from, you know, in Western life, in in the Arab world, certainly, I mean, it's 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 always been done during the various wars, whoever was warring against each other. But um, yeah, I think it I think it gets I think it it gets beneath the rib, and I and and it, it's along with your actual actions um, is a great component. Would you guys, would you all read one of your poems that um, featured the themes of the Poets for Peace events? Would you do that for us? I, I have here. It's a manifesto. Actually, yeah, it is a manifesto. There it is. Okay. Actual publication that, can you see that? Three Poets for Peace Against the Tide. Against and the Tide. And then our names. And the back says what, when this book came out which was uh, March of 2003. Right, okay. right. And all, all three of you are, uh, are represented in that, in that uh, book. Correct. And yes. all three of us made little statements 
uh, about what we thought we were doing. Can you uh, read some of those? I can read them all three of them if you like. Okay. Uh, I read I read Chris's to Chris the other day, and he was amazed at how smart he used to be. Yeah, that's true. I I, I couldn't believe I'd actually written that. <laughs> Uh, under, under the heading of statement of conscience, statement of purpose, that sounds like you, Veronica. That's that. That sounds. I don't know. That's, uh, <laughs> that's like anyway, there there are three of them, and the first one is Chris. If truth is the first casualty of war, the second is language. When we abuse language by proclaiming bombs smart and war just. We hack away at trust and at the human connections among us, like the real World Wide Web. If we would claim the language we love for thought rather than plot, for mindful action, not violent reaction, we cannot limit our vision to the pleasures and problems of poetry. When the Council, uh, American Council of Trustees and alumni labeled the slogan, our grief is not a cry for war. Yeah. Morally relative, and even implied that it was seditious. And when we are told by our attorney general that we are either on the side of U.S. policy or support evil doers, then we must stand up and say a resounding no in every way that we can. And these poems are one way. That's Chris's statement. Beautiful, Chris, as always. Really. Yeah, you, you Thank you. Yours, Veronica. I want poetry to be for the physical world because every day in my name, bombs, bullets, weapons of mass destruction obliterate what poetry reveals. That beneath the wonder of our differences, the fabric in which we are wrapped the culture in which we speak, we are all we all share, illuminate, and are haunted by the same human condition. Those who maim, wound, destroy one of us do it to all of us. I want poetry to stand as witness, refuse to leave the field, open its arms, and cry out, "We are one." I want poetry to fight back. That ain't bad. That's darn damn good. <laughs> I mean, this is amazing. Yeah, we had a good time. We had a we did. We did. Go we ahead, did. go ahead, Angela. Read it. The shortest. It's me. It says, poetry is often taken to be a mere collection of beautiful words designed to make smart people feel smarter and provide <laughs> yet more comfort for the already comfortable. <laughs> From that point of view, these aren't poems at all. <laughs> they are anti. So in addition to being anti-war, I guess I'm anti-poetic as well. As for philosophy, two brief quotes come to mind. Rage against the machine, and if a fool but persists in his folly, he would be wise. So you, really. I feel, yeah, like, really. I feel uh, like this is testimony for that period of time. Yeah, so, absolutely. That's pretty cool, right? Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Is is there a need for such uh, statements now? Oh yes, 
You know, while we're doing all of this and the whole world is feeling this virus and everything, you know, U.S. troops are still occupying <laughs> Iraq, Afghanistan. They're going Syria. Sudan. I mean, you know, I, we have troops in 138 countries around the world. Thank you. Said, we're blocking Iran and making the virus worse there because they can't, they yeah. can't get supplies that they need to help. Ditto, us. ditto Venezuela. Ditto Venezuela. So maybe Angelo could read one or two of the poems from that book. I mean, that's oh, 20 yeah. something years ago. I would okay. love to first read Henry Kissinger. You got that in your hand somewhere? Oh, that's Chris's I, poem, right? Yeah, that's my yeah. poem. I'd, I'd have to go and get it because um, I had planned to read a couple of other things. Okay. Why doesn't Angelo read something of his before? And I'll pull that up in, in, in the meantime. Okay. Okay. I'll give you a chance to do that. Angelo, you have something? Uh, I'm going to read uh, the poem that actually begins this book, which is mine. And it, it has a very, has a title that I'm actually should be better than it is, but it, the title is Lopez Carrier of Mail. I worked in the post office for many years. In my dreams, Vietnam is a river, a river of fire, trees burning, buffaloes burning, women burning, a fire so loud with eyes closed I can still hear it. I can hear it chewing the banks of the river. I did 19 months overseas, aged me 20 years. He pulls a plastic vial from inside his shirt to show me what he needs to sleep. Pain meds, Prozac, pot, booze, and these, he says into my eyes. They help but not much. It changes you to kill people every day. Even if you don't kill them, it changes you to see people killed. But I did, I did kill them. I killed buffaloes, I killed women, fish, birds. I killed anything that moved because I had to kill or be killed. You know what I mean? At night, you, can, you can't see three meters into the trees. Some Vietnamese moved into a building on my route. The first time I smelled fish heads cooking in the hallway, I saw the river blow up, blood gush, mud explode. I got sick. I got sick to my gut. I heaved black gunk I didn't know I still had in me. I saw myself running young again, the river in flames, dead in the mud, chewing their graves. You know, one of the great things about doing this podcast and getting back in touch with you guys is getting to reread those poems, oh, your, your poems. Angelo. I it's mean, so terrific. Oh, God, it's just. And there are things there are things that I've saw this time that I don't remember from before. Like there are two lines of Angelo's that just just 
are indelible to me now. One of them is history flows in both directions. And the other one is uh, the present changes the future and the future fashions the past it needs. That's what mm. poetry can do. Wow. And just, uh, just say it. And to show the compassion and the hardness at the same time. It, it's just a gorgeous poem as a poem and a gorgeous statement, I think. Well, uh, I'm, I'm taken away by the, the, the visceral quality of it, the total embedding my, not my thought, I mean, my thought, yes, and I think, think thought comes later, but right now it's my kind of like, this is, I'm, it's in my gut, those, those images. Um, I mean, it's, it's a smell and it's a look and it's a feel and it's a, and a smell and a, yeah. It's like what Veronica said, it gets underneath the rib. It's underneath the rib. I, I've read that poem and others to um, Afghan vets and Afghanistan, you know, in terms of geography is about as different a place from Vietnam as it could possibly be. And yet the emotion um, translates to, you know, across continents and, and, and geography from jungle to desert and, and from uh, uh, mud to snow. Um, you know, the, vet, the vets are a brotherhood that, that we've too little talked about on the left and in poetry, I think. Have you yeah. have you met an audience member who was a vet who heard that poem and did they comment on it? Or? Yes, I, I've had I've had people say, "Wow, you must you must have seen a lot of action." Now the truth is, I, I was never in the army, but I I was that that's what Veronica meant by by translating. Right, if you, right. If you listen to someone's listen. Opinion, if you actually listen, and most of us never do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what we, we're going to say next, uh, but if Excellent. you actually listen, and and if you if you have the instrument that can resonate to to what you're hearing, then you can translate that into what people feel is a is is is, is genuine. What you know, what's true in a poem is, is the emotions. If the emotions are true, then the poem's true. The facts do not have to be literally true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it also requires the listener of the poem to listen. I mean, you can't listen to a poem superficially. I don't think you cannot listen to that poem. That no, Angela no. I mean, certain read. poems just grab so you and like the they... way Angela reads it. That's yeah. true, yeah. He, you know, uh, I, it's the one complaint I have all the time about poets not practicing and offering the audience a way to hear the poem. Mm. You saw how slowly he wrote, he read it. The voice, his tone of it. I'm not pushing this on you. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. And, and all of it is art. All of it is art, not falseness, but art, all of it, the way that he reads and presents it. And, I, I really want to tell poets, you know, please, you know, practice at home. Somebody tells you 15 minutes, make it 13 minutes. I mean, really, because you, it's an offering. 
the poem is an offering like the old gods, you know, you're just offering it. Wow. Yeah, plus if you read it well, it, it helps not only the hearer, but you yourself to understand it. Mm. Right. Chris, you've got, you find your poem? Yeah, I did. Since Veronica mentioned compassion, I have to tell you a little bit about this one. I, I had a very good friend who's died a, a year or so ago, Dave McReynolds, who was a lifelong socialist and head of uh, the executive director of War Zesters League for about 40 years. I read him a poem once, and it was, a, it was about somebody like Henry Kissinger. And he said, but Chris, where's the compassion? And oh, that just, that just struck me right to the heart. So then I wrote this poem and I read it to him and he liked it. And I said, but Dave, there's not very much compassion in this poem. And he said, that's all right. I hated the son of a bitch. Uh, so this is for Henry Kissinger. Is it too late to curse you, Henry? Is it time to have the years obscure your crimes? Time to close that chapter, let bygones be gone, give it a rest, let it be? No, it is not too late, Henry. And thus begins our curse. Be it never too late. Be the voices you hear in your dotage, your victim's voices shouting assassin, thief, because you sat well-tailored in handsome offices and sent others out to prove your power, because you wrote with proper tactics, nuclear war need not be as destructive as it appears, because you found white phosphorus a useful tool and napalm a tolerable arm of diplomacy and Agent Orange necessary to policy and tiger cages, because you didn't understand why we should allow a country to go communist on account of its own people's ignorance, because you enjoyed the company of Pinochet, Marcos, Duvalier, Stroessner, Samosa, the Shah, because you regretted Laos and Cambodia. We should have found some other way of doing it. Because you killed Allende and shattered Neruda's heart as surely as if you had held the gun yourself. Because you accepted the Nobel Peace Prize. Because in the mirror you see a god, Hermes, Loki. Because you have a mind for deciding life and death and it's pure injustice of history that you're not still doing it. May the insects refuse to touch you. May the worms spit you back. May you never know decay's comfort and rest. Let the voices follow you always. Let the burning children run toward you forever, clasping you in their flaming arms. Let your eternal waiting room be the stadium in Santiago, filled with silent prisoners filing past. Each one stops to look at you. And you, with all the time in the world, cannot look away. None mentions bruises, burns, missing fingernails, teeth, faces. Each only recites a name. Elena, Nugoyen, Christophis, Bobby Jean, Laureano. And one of them hands you a snapshot of his daughters. Another, his unused high school reg registration card. A third, the unfinished history of her family. A fourth holds out a stuffed penguin, one at a carnival moments before his arrest. The next carries nothing, having no hands, gives you only her look and whispers a poem, 
a hymn to the wind. The line of the disappeared goes on and on, and you will stand rooted, seeing them at last. And always, always will you hear the songs of love Victor Hara continues to sing, even without his tongue. Now, now you know. I miss you guys. <laughs> I miss, these are my brothers. I just oh, miss yeah. you enough about the whatever this. Uh, this. Yeah. Now you know why I wouldn't consider reading that poem for for Chris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh huh. We get it. It is his. It is his breath that gives it power. Right. It's uh, operatic. It's an operatic poem, and when he does his vibrato, it's just right. Well, if that vibrato is because I haven't got a choice. I'm about to cry there every time I read it. I know. Well, you can, you can, you can hear that. I mean, we we have been blessed by Chris's readings a number of times. Um, I'm just gonna get get water. I'll be right back. Okay, because actually, it's Veronica's uh, turn right now. Next, the lines of the disappeared go on and on. Yeah, that that was amazing. And the poet, the poet and uh, singer. Uh, that you mentioned, you know, uh, um, Victor, Victor, Hara. Victor Hara, we had talked about with uh, Martin Espada and Lauren Schmidt, right? He had done a poem that that involved uh, Hara. Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a sinful person because in my early days I was a waiter and I served uh, Henry Kissinger and his wife in an expensive restaurant. You know, and well, uh, you got to make a living somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that counts as a sin. I mean, yeah, I, I still, I still remember. I mean, he was sitting there, you know, as deathly as day. Oh God, I don't think the man will ever die. He's a, he's a vampire. He's still around. Is he really? Yeah, he's oh, still he's alive. Still, he's uh, ninety-seven years old. Wow. Uh, Veronica, you have something for us. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna read from my book. Uh, this is the book I read from, Vocabulary of Silence, my second book, Pieta. What of the farm mother, her soldier son, shattered? She hides her shuddering inside the closet, rubs the coat and boots he'll never need again, his body of cut-off stems. Before, in his child life sleep, his legs flung open, Sometimes she couldn't even look. He was so beautiful, although she didn't have then, and doesn't have now, the word. She's speared through. That smell in his room, his blind left eye, three limbs sawed away, his shit staining the white sheets. The Walmart sheets she buys and buys. You see, he had been so crisp, so cut line, so formal in the uniform, as if he had been pressed somehow inside, and her with her deep knowledge of ironing, 
of pressing herself had recognized it in him, you know, and saw beauty in it. Yes, in the sharp crease, it was clean and clear, that work of hands and the message that worked carried that someone had done this for him. She rolls him on his side and removes four times daily the sheets from the bed, daily brushes her fingers against his white t-shirt lightly. Its short arms flap. There is nothing to hold. Finding muscle fair in his still strong back, and the back of his head, that little scar from the day he fell off the tractor when she thought, yes, I could kill, I could kill his father, yes, for this Oh, Her memory is a sharpened thing. Where, where are his arms and his leg? She wants to lift him. She wants to smother him. She wants to finger all the edges of his wounds. She wants him back. She wants him to die. All her words, the ones she could say on some spring day, the sun's out, the rye is up, stuck somewhere below the solar plexus of her, those beauty words, sun, grass, Rain, horse, earth, gone. Only he remains. Wow, Veronica. God, I miss you. <laughs> Why the hell are you not still in New York? <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not in New Mexico? Not right now. I wouldn't be there. You know, I was supposed to go. I was supposed to see you yeah. all anyway. You were supposed then, to come and visit my class. Yeah. yeah. Veronica, I, uh, I I don't have a collection of your, your stuff. It's what I could find online and what Chris was sharing with me. But I read Pieta yesterday. I was bawling. And I'm bawling now. Our son was in the military. I mean, he's okay. But the crisp lines of that marine suit that he had, I just put myself, and I was hoping you read it. I was hoping you wouldn't read it because I know my wife was going to be in tears from it. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm disgusted. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. But wouldn't, when Can will I it? just say that, you know, even taking these three poems that we've read, yeah. it's why we, we worked so well together. Because while the, the aim is similar, our voices are, come from different angles, have different tones, you know, from opera to this kind of irony or just God, that just the walking of this postal worker. And then this mother, what, you know. So I I just feel, again, I'm I'm what Chris is saying, that I just so miss this. Miss, you know, writers. I mean, there's all beautiful writers here, and I love everybody and all that. But these two are just, 
bring me to myself in a in a well, way that a lot of other poets don't. That's well, we're 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 going to get back together, and that's one thing that's just become crystal clear to me right now. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we did the podcast. Then. There you go. served a purpose. In the uh, in that little uh, statement of of principle or, or purpose uh, that began the uh, the three poets for peace against the tide of war, she said that the the comedy what what gets smidge smudged around smudge that's a New York word smudged it Is gets that- smudged. It, gets, it is now. <laughs> I think it is, yeah. Largely erased the commonality of being human in, 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 and that the mother's grief is you can't not get that, uh, particularly if you're a parent, of course. But you, you can't not get that if you have a heart that beats. <laughs> Are you talking about Henry Kissinger now? Well, some people don't have hearts, though. That's true. Yeah, I know about that. Yeah. Um, some people don't have hearts. Yes, that's that is the point. Some people, and and they 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 can't be helped by poetry, but the vast majority of people do and can. Yeah. Maybe uh, you should send your poem to Henry Kissinger, Chris. Have you ever thought of that? Just send it to him. Well, dear it's Henry, and dear I was, Henry, I've Kissinger. always hoped that he'd see it someday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he's a big listener of Barcrow Radio. So, yeah, right. There you, you, know. Go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we there was, we, we there had, was a time when he was the Upper West Side's most eligible bachelor, wasn't he? Oh boy. Really? Yeah. 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 Listen, we we uh, um, um, put aside an hour for this, and we're only halfway through. What I had scripted out, and I think we need to get together again, maybe for the second part, part two, part two of our discussion of uh, of the gendered voice of poetry, and yeah. and maybe wow. get, you get, get. I would week? love that. Yeah, yeah. let's let's, let's let's. You don't want to do it now, but you. No, no, I've I, I'm I'm full. We can't I, switch gears I'm, right now. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I also want to ask, and I don't know whether we could do it now or later. Is this idea, and maybe we could do it later, but maybe give some thought to this. Is like we we are in the middle of this um, this coronavirus epidemic pandemic, um, and it seems to me that it's an opportunity for a poet's voice. It's a po- for a poet's voice, but an opportunity for us to re to see ourselves in a way we've never we've never been like this. The whole world has never been like this. My biggest fear right now is that we won't take advantage of it and that we'll just go right back to where we were. You know, Alan, um, one of the things about this is I I tried writing a poem about coronavirus and the lockdown. It didn't work. It it takes a while for poetry to percolate, percolate, bubble up. That's what Martine said. He said, you can't Uh, write it now. Yeah. I mean, uh, Angela's got a a book-length poem about 9-11. Didn't publish it until 2008, I think, 2007, 2008, six years later. Yeah. And I'm still working on mine. And uh, it's, it doesn't, poetry doesn't come, uh, you know, when you call it. I, I do want to say I have been writing some poems. And I would say out of, you know, 30 of them, maybe two or, but, you know, I think it's more, um, it's more about 
who are we? Like, what kind of species are we? Oh, I, I mean, because I'm hearing these brothers of mine read their work in conjunction with my own, and I just want to say, you know, that's what it led, that period with them during that time led me to all the rest of the books and also this query about who we are. Why are we the way we are? I, I, I just, so that it's not, for me, the, the writing of some of these poems were more about like, you know, here, who am I? Am I a we? Am I, you know, just the more, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I, maybe I should not like be. like 15 different sections to really <laughs> have a break. That the the virus and the quarantine will show up in poetry. Uh, I have a little thing where I record dreams and uh, work on them as if they're uh, source material for for poems. And um, the virus has begun to show up in in some some of the dreams. I I had a dream the other day in which people were being selfish and the way they were being selfish were they weren't wearing masks in the subway. That's not a dream. That's a reality. That's reality. <laughs> you know, the tropes uh, um, uh, begin to begin to seep into your head yeah. and show up in the poems. It's not like you decide, oh, you know, it's time to write a poem about uh, the coronavirus. I mean, that that's not how poetry works. Yeah. That's what I'm learning from talking to poets, <laughs> that this is not how it works. Right. I mean, Becky and Alan, thank you very much for the really good questions, the listening, the commentary, and for doing this. It's work, and really, we really appreciate it. Love you both. Oh, love, love you. Love you, man. So good to see you. <laughs> All right. I'm leaving. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm the right hand. This is Bar Crawl Radio, and we have been talking with three poets for peace. We want to thank Angelo Verga and Veronica Golos for joining us today, and of course, Chris Bratt, who helps produce these series of episodes. Poetry, what is it good for? Alan and I are grateful for your words, for the words of all poets who search for the hidden truth that drives us towards better lives. This has been the fifth in the BCR series, Poetry, What Is It Good For?, co-produced by Chris Brandt. If you've been enjoying our podcast, let us know by emailing us at barcrowradio at gmail.com. <laughs>